Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Good morning. Well, I'm glad you made it here uh, this afternoon, almost afternoon. And uh, go ahead and turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him how much you love him. God is good. Amen. Thank you, Trace, for the, those, those kind remarks. Um, I'm most certainly not the greatest preacher, but uh, I, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be here with you and to share just a few thoughts. Can you give me about three hours this morning? Share just a few thoughts with you. All right, turn to your other neighbor. You know the drill. Say, go Rams. Come on, go Rams. Okay, this is going to be a rough crowd this morning. Uh, do we have any Ram fans here? Okay, do we have any Cowboy fans? Do we have any Cowboy fans that want to be Ram fans? Right here, right here. Guys, I want to be a winner. That's what I long for. That's what I long for. Well, I'm glad you made it here today. As Tracy mentioned, we're, uh, we're starting right now our, our message series on, on gratitude. We're going to spend probably six, seven, eight weeks uh, talking about gratefulness. And so gratefulness, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is the engine. Gratefulness is the engine of, of generosity. And uh, I want to thank Trace for her, her thoughts on giving. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to try to make that connection. Everyone say connection. We're going to try to make that connection between gratefulness and generosity. Uh, so if you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're just going to take you through just a couple of vignettes, a couple of passages out of the book or letter of Corinthians before we do that, I just want to really stress, as Tracy mentioned, next week is a big event for us. I don't want you to miss it. So how many of you have at least one friend? Okay, there's three of you that have at least one friend. Lord have mercy. Wow. Okay, Lord, please. Oh, Mary. Um, but if you have at least one friend, uh, invite them next week. As Trace mentioned, uh, Carl Lentz, uh, again, we're honored to have him here. Uh, he just loves people. And uh, there's no one as genuine as Carl. And if you don't know, he's uh, the lead pastor at Hillsong, New York. And he's been the pastor for about eight, eight years-ish. And uh, he's grown his church. We believe in growth, but he, he's, he's grown his church to about 16,000, 17,000 people. And uh, he's making a big difference as he partners with Jesus in New York City. And how many of you know New York City needs a little bit of help? Okay. How many of you know that our city needs a little bit of help? Okay, so um, we're honored to uh, have him. So please, uh, if you want to come, double dip. How many like double dipping your nach your nachos, your chips, whatever? Okay, that's that's a horrible illustration, but uh, double dip this next Sunday. Come to our nine eleven and um, our seven o'clock service. I, I promise God's going to have uh, great things in store for all of us. So before I get to First Corinthians chapter one. Two through seven, uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And so we felt like we were supposed to talk about gratitude. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. You get your stretchy pants out. You get a big, long nap. You get turkey. How many love turkey? Uh, you get cranberry salad, right? You watch the Dallas Cowboys lose mostly, right? Uh, Thanksgiving is great. We have midterm elections right around the corner. Two days, right? Everyone say two days. Two days. And uh, we got a lot of stuff that's happening right now in our world. The Grinch who stole Christmas is coming out, I think, in about a week or two. So really the motif at this time of year is Thanksgiving. Just so you know, Christians invented Thanksgiving. 
And we'll talk about that here uh, pretty soon. But if, but before we get into the word, if you could bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you that you are with us today. And uh, we just thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for rest. Thank you for uh, your love. I thank you that we can come here today. We can, we can worship you. And we thank you, Father, for all the wonderful things that you've done for us. So, Lord, we, we thank you that your presence is here and you're changing us. Lord, I also thank you that the Boise State Broncos eked out that win last night. Lord, we thank you that you love the Broncos, but you don't like the Vandals. In Jesus' name, we love you. And everyone said, amen, amen. I love you guys. I love you guys a lot. Hey, you guys, have, if, if you've been here long enough, you've, you've heard some of my stories. I like, to, I like to tell stories every now and then. About a year and a half ago, I went on um, a camping ex- excursion. Uh, I'm, I'm not like a camper. I'm, I like the idea of being in nature. How many of you like the idea of being in nature? Uh, you just don't like being in nature, right? How many glampers do we have, right? That's kind of a new phrase. It's getting a little cliched, but uh, glampers are like, they like ho- they're going up into the mountains and they like going to hotels and golfing, right? Getting a nice boat, kind of doing your thing on, on the water. That's, that's kind of like my style. Um, but about a year and a half ago, I went with Marshall and Rachel and Scott and um, Willow, and uh, we took our families, and we went up into the Sawtooth Mountain Range. And as I said before, it was, I thank God for friends. Friends are amazing, and uh, we were blessed to have friends, uh, but the camping experience was absolutely horrific, right? And as I mentioned before, it, was, it felt like death because I, we were literally dying at 2 o'clock in the morning. We didn't know that you had to bring a sub-zero. It was summer. Come on. Everyone say summer. Okay, I'm doing my best to get you guys going this morning, right? You can sing with me, um, but it was summertime. We didn't realize that summertime in the Sawtooth Mountain Range, you still had to bring up like sub-zero sleeping bags. You know, you had to, there's a lot of gear that we just didn't bring up. So about two o'clock in the morning, I remember waking up literally freezing and uh, concerned about my kids dying of exposure. Well, d- daybreak hit and uh, hope came with daybreak and uh, we lived, we survived. And, uh, and you've heard the story before. Uh, but I don't know if I've shared this story, uh, but I took, my, we took our kids back, put them in the car on our way back to uh, Boise. Uh, my son, and I didn't see this. My wife saw this. Uh, my son, Quincy. Everyone say Quincy. He was in the back, and he was looking through a window. And he was a, he was, he's a philosopher. I love this kid. He likes to think. And so he's peering out of the window uh, as these large mountains go by, and you have these sloping hills, and, you know, the sun is cascading into our car. And you could tell he's like... He's mesmerized with something. And so then he engages in some self-talk, and he begins by saying, and he says it to himself. He goes, wow. My wife heard this. I didn't hear this. Again, he's talking to himself as he's peering out into the distance. He goes, wow, that is what camping is like. Wow. And he kept on saying it over and over and over again. This little six, six at the time, he's like, wow, that's what camping experience is all about. Um, That wow, everyone say wow, that wow is the engine of gratitude. In fact, I I can't, like he's trying to process his emotions. I'm sure what he was experiencing, I mean, he didn't realize that he was going to die the night before, but he loved spending time with his, his friends, right? I'm sure his heart was filled with surprise, the camping surprise. Um, he had a wonderful time trek, 
trekking with um, uh, Marshall as Marshall took the kids through different places. Um, he, I'm sure he was filled with mystery, uh, also doubled with wonder. I'm, I'm sure that wow was connected to wonder, surprise, and mystery. And uh, that is my argument over the next several weeks as we talk about wonder and gratitude. Those emotions are the foundation or the engine of gratefulness. Gratefulness. In fact, the whole complex range of emotion when it comes to gratitude uh, is, is wide. Um, there's a spectrum. Like, like me, I was thinking the exact same thing in my head. Wow. So that's what camping is like. Wow. Quincy was filled with wonder. I was filled with relief. Right? He didn't know that, man, we, we, were, we were that far away from death, right? And uh, my fear from that night turned into what? It turned into surprise. It turned into relief. It turned into appreciation. When it comes to gratefulness, gratefulness is this complex range of emotions. Some of you, when you're grateful, you might not be able to identify it, uh, but you can identify wonder. Wonder, again, is like the centerpiece of gratitude. Surprise, delight, appreciation, encouragement. Uh, for some of us, it's, uh, for some of us, it's fear or grief or Maybe you lost your child in a store, and a good stranger, right? A good Samaritan found your child. If you've ever experienced this, um, you know what it means to have the relief of finding your lost child. Can I get an amen to that? And what do you say to that good Samaritan, that stranger? You say, thank you. Thank you. So thank you is the language. It's the the dialect, as Paul will tell us here as we get to uh, Scripture quickly, um, is the, the foundation of the Christian life. So on this wide spectrum of emotion that's related to gratefulness, some of us feel deep satisfaction. Others of us feel um, ecstasy. One scholar, uh, he writes about his personal experience with um, about a, a very serious and terminal disease. One day he went to the doctor, and the doctor came to him and said, so and so, uh, we have good news. Your disease is in remission. You have been effectively cured. And he writes his response to um, this, this moment of wow and wonder. And this is what he said. I was seized with a frenzy of gratitude. I was possessed. My arms rose straight up by themselves. A hundred-pound weight could not have held them at my side. My hands were open. Have you ever experienced this before? Uh, my fingers spread, waving, twisting, while I blessed the Lord for the almost unbearable goodness of being alive on this good earth, in this good body, at this present time. I was flying outside myself, high, held in weightless lightness, as if my earthly existence needed no ground to rest in. This is a feeling. This is the emotion that's associated with gratefulness. One scholar uh, wrote, New Testament scholar, he's old school. Everyone say old school. Uh, he wrote in one of his devotional books, this, he titled this little devo, The Need to Praise. 
And he talks about his time when he was a young man. He was a complaining about everything. He was complaining about Brussels sprouts. He was complaining about being in the army. He was complaining about the cold winter drizzle. And so he was overwhelmed with, com- with complaint. And then in a moment, this is, this is his words, time slowed, time deepened. He felt like lurched into like this new space-time thing, and he could see reality for itself. And this is what he said. Once he understood the ultimate goodness of God, the goodness of things, the goodness of existence, the goodness of grace, and the joy in things, this need to praise, to sing hallelujah. How many love to sing hallelujah? That need to praise began to bubble up inside of him. It became almost unstoppable to the point where he had to leave his barracks and go to the birds to talk to the birds about the goodness of creation. My son Wesley has a, like his favorite scripture, and he quotes it a lot, is if you don't praise, and this is the conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, and he basically quotes, I think it's Psalm 8, I think, if you don't praise um, the God, the good God who has good purposes for creation, even the rocks will cry out and worship him. There's a need to praise, and that forms the basis of thankfulness. So some of us experience ecstasy, others of us on the spectrum experience deep satisfaction. For example, this last Friday night, uh, my, I have twin boys, Wesley and Quincy, and they were playing flag football. They were in the semifinal game, and ironically, God has a wonderful sense of humor. They were playing the Dallas Cowboys, and the Dallas Cowboys won. It's so ironic. They can win in pretend football, but not in real life, Right? And so uh, we should have won the game. We got the best coaches in the world, and we got a great team. We were so much better than the Cowboys. Uh, but we ended up losing by, by four. It was totally the rest's fault. Anyways, let's move on. And, uh, but I remember sitting there watching my, my sons and um, my friend's sons play, and uh, it was, I was just overwhelmed. I got to the point as we got to the second game, which is the third-place game, and we were playing the Ravens, and we won 33-12. to 12. Can I get an amen to that? Like, I don't live. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, uh, first service was a lot uh, louder than you guys, and I thought they were quiet. Anyways, um, so uh, this, we won 33 to 12, and we're just having um, a great time. And my dad, how many of you love Pastor Ken Wilde? He was right next to me. He's six foot five. He's stately. He totally has his life together, right? That's him. You never see him. He, he always expresses himself perfectly in every situation. Right next to him was my best friend, Shane. How I many of you love Shane Grove? Like Shane, he just, he's like solid. He always, he's like perfectly controlled. Marshall, Rachel, you know this about Shane. He just has his act together. Like he has his stuff. Everyone say his stuff. His stuff together and he totally just, he's a good guy. And you know he's not weird, eccentric, he's normal. Then you have me and I'm totally regal too and stately. I, I, think, I like to think of myself that I, like, uh, I, I have my emotions together as well, and um, I like to express myself in, in an appropriate way. But in this third-place game, as, as we started kind of pulling away from this team, and we, we started watching some of these kids throw footballs and, and grab flags, and uh, I saw my breath in the freezing cold air, and I'm sitting there right next to some of my closest friends, and I'm just thinking about the goodness of life, and I'm just starting thinking about grace, and I'm like, oh my God, I got oxygen in my lungs, and then Wesley, everyone would say, Wesley, are you guys still with me? 
Can I just share? I'm going to share this story no matter whether you like it or not, okay? So Wesley, I love it. He, and we got a video of this. I'm going, to, I'm going to show it next Sunday, okay? He comes back. He's a quarterback for the second time in the game. And he throws this perfect pass um, to Easton Martinez, who is just this paragon of an athlete. And he catches the ball in stride, runs about 70 yards, almost makes the touchdown. I almost got to my knees and started crying right in that moment. I look over to my dad, stately. This is what gratitude will do to you. This is what gratefulness will do, do to you. My dad, man, I just love this about my dad. He's just so, so put together. But in this moment, because of joy and goodness and just seeing just how life is a gift, my dad turned to me and he started laughing like a smoker. He's never, he has not smoked one cigarette his whole life. And if you have, there's no judgment here. I'm not trying to make any calls about that. I'm just saying I love it. He literally, start, it, 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 it almost seems like he's going like, to like just throw up his intestines. It's just like he's just laughing. And then I felt like my dad wanted to give me a chest bump. That's a little bit too far, right? I'm not joking. My dad, his hands are in the air. Shane, when he gets, when he gets that need to like just like let it go and praise and everything, he starts giggling like a little boy. And so us three, in that moment, because we were so overwhelmed with the goodness of life, and not just the fact that our boys were winning, not just the fact that, man, they were playing a good game, but just the reality of the joy of being in God's world. And then that kind of is a trigger for just a fresh way of thinking about God's grace and how he has loved us. I remember we were, us three, kind of in a circle, and we were jumping up and down, and our hands were raised in the air. I didn't think about one care. I have a lot of cares in this world. Can I get an amen to that? We all have our worries. We all have our difficulties. We're all going through something right now. But when gratitude takes over your mind and gets inside your soul and gets into your DNA, it begins to shape how you live and you're able to negotiate the difficulties of life. And so I didn't care. I marginalized all the cares of this world. And I started high-fiving people. I started laughing. I was filled with joy because of the goodness of God's world. That's the foundation of gratefulness. Now, I get it. We don't always, we don't always experience gratefulness like that. Some of us, like Steve Martinez, his, we had a conversation. He's the coach of our boys. We talked um, briefly about winning and life and good things. And his, his response, his emotional, emotional response to the goodness of God is a deep satisfaction. I love that. So some of us experience um, satisfaction. Some of us experience ecstasy. Some of us kind of are in between but again, gratefulness is this complex range of emotion. So what is gratefulness? How, how, if you were to like diagnose or di- create a diagram of gratefulness, what would it be? What's the structure? What's the anatomy of gratefulness? Number one, gratefulness is always tethered or it's always connected to a gift. You can't be grateful If you don't realize, and I'm going to get to our scripture here really quick. If you don't realize the gift that you have received. So gratitude or gratefulness begins with gift. And then in the words of one scholar, it leads to a realization that this gift is an unexpected benefit. Something that you can't pay back. It's something that's overwhelming. And then in response, uh, gratefulness in response to the gift that you've received that's unexpected. As a response, 
you, you respond with words and actions. And as you do that, gratefulness begins to change how you think. It begins to change how you even feel. It begins to change even how you act. In fact, gratefulness, the practice of gratefulness in relation to Jesus as the centerpiece of all of life. Can I get an amen to that? Is transformative in our lives. And I'm going to make the argument here today that if you have a problem with generosity, you actually have a problem with gratefulness. So Paul gives us this picture. He writes to the church in Corinth. If you're like a Bible scholar here, a theologian, you kind of know, or maybe you know the Bible pretty well, this letter to the, the Corinthian church is filled with, yes, correction. It is a corrective letter on one level. This church in Corinth is filled with ex-pagans, and they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And uh, they're wrestling with issues, and some of them have fallen prey to cheap sex, and uh, they've twisted uh, the image of God in their own life through false worship, etc. So Paul is addressing this, these issues. But many of us, when we come to the book of Corinth, we think of Paul simply indicting the church as corrupt, and that's not how this book functions. This book actually functions as Paul penned or wrote this letter as a long thanksgiving letter, a letter of gratefulness. It is from a place of gratitude that Paul then brings correction to uh, this church in Corinth. And so he writes in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Everyone say saints. Saints and sanctification uh, is like a, it's, it's associated with the word holiness. Holiness is just simply being set apart for God's special purpose. How many of you have like a suit or dress that you set aside for like a wedding or a special occasion? Or you have your stretchy pants for Thanksgiving? Right, you set it apart. Well, this, this idea of being set apart for a very special purpose is behind the word holiness or saints. Like I can't get into the etymology of the word saint and sanctification, but I want you to think about that. And God's people, as Paul will talk about throughout the book of Corinthians and really throughout the New Testament, God's purpose for his set-apart people, this is outrageous, this is ridiculous for us as American-style thinkers, but God's purpose for us is to rule creation in love and wisdom. I don't have time to talk about that, but put that in your theological pipe and don't smoke it this morning, okay? Uh, but they are called to be saints together with all those in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Before Paul addresses any issues with the church in Corinth, we come to verse 3. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say grace. All right, turn to your neighbor and say grace. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given, I give thanks, because of what? The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking. I love this. There's no inadequacy in the kingdom of Jesus. There's no scarcity in the kingdom of Jesus. There's no, no one lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We go fast forward just a couple passages, a couple chapters. We come to chapter 3, kind of the end. Paul is continuing to talk about this grace. He's talking, he's writing to the church about this grace. And then he addresses from a place of grace uh, the need to stop boasting. So he's hitting head on this boasting culture. And he writes in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Can I get an amen, church? For it is written, he catches the wise, the experts in their craftiness. Allusions to some Old Testament passages. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are what? Futile. This boasting culture is an exercise, in the words of Paul, an exercise in futility. Right? You can't do it. Why? Because of grace. Everyone say grace. Verse 21, so let no one boast in men. For all things, if you belong to King Jesus, could you say all things, all things are yours. Whoa, 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 whoa. all things? And then he, he qualifies that by saying whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter's nickname or old name, or the world of life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. This, I mean, this, like, come on, this is a little bit outrageous, right? Paul is, like, changing how we think about the church. In other words, Paul, the church doesn't belong to Paul or Peter or Cephas. The apostles actually belong to the church. What Paul's even saying is that the church doesn't belong to the world. In fact, the world belongs to the church, the future, the present, life, reigning, all these kind of ways of thinking about the responsibility of the church in this world, it all belongs to us as the people of God. In other words, all the justification, all the wisdom, all the justice, all the beauty belongs to us because, verse 23, we belong to who? King Jesus. We are Christ and Christ is God's. And then we continue in chapter 4, verse 7. Paul continues to write, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? I love that. What do you have that you did not receive? I love this rhetorical flourish. Paul's saying, okay, come on, challenge me. I want you to try to think of something that you have that you did not receive. If then, he continues, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Verse 8, already you have all you want because of King Jesus. You have all the forgiveness and grace and hope and peace, come on, and, and justification that you could want or imagine in Christ Jesus. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. And Paul ends in verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. So what is Paul telling us about the kingdom of God? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that gratefulness and grace 
are mutually dependent on each other. In fact, gratefulness and grace come from the same root word. Uh, in Latin, it's uh, gratia. And in, uh, in the Greek, it's charis. Both those words describe the word grace. So gratefulness is associated with this root word grace. And grace is simply unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It's, it's without merit. It's grace implies that it's God who brings all the goodness to his people. I, I just, I hope that sets you free. Because many of us think that, man, we got to come to church and we got to please God, right? We got to get in his good grace or we got to get in his good favor. But Paul says, no, that's an upside down way of thinking about the kingdom of Jesus. In fact, it's maladaptive. It just doesn't work. If you came today expecting, okay, man, I got to praise God because I have to in order for God, like we, we assume that our relationship with God is transactional. And so I got I to gotta lift up my hands. I got to do the Pentecostal two-step and I got to listen to a message in order for God to bless me. Then your thinking is upside down. In fact, it's Jesus who came to his people and it's Jesus who chose us. We didn't choose him. The reason why, in other words, you want God today is not because you made the choice to want him. The reason why we want God today is because God wanted us. The reason why we're here today worshiping is because not we made the choice to come and because we want to get closer to God. It's because God wants to get close to us. It's not, our story is not, oh, we want God, we love God, we desire God, we were just totally messed up, we were Dallas Cowboy fans, I mean, Oakland Raider fans, and our lives were filled with darkness and bleak hope, and we were sick, broke, busted, and disgusted. So then we invented this idea of God so that we could approach him so that he could bless us. That's a stinking pagan idea. No, 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 no. We love God because he first loved us. We are here breathing in oxygen. We have existence. We can think about what we're thinking about right now, right? We can lift up our hands and we can worship. We have grace and we have life and life more abundantly. We have hope rooted in Christ Jesus. And God is making all things new and we can be a part of that and that has nothing to do with ourselves. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. It's unmerited. In, in fact, you can't, have you ever had an experience where someone gave you an unexpected gift and you knew in your bones you could not pay it back? Times that you can't do this, but do it. Anyway, it's a little thought exercise. Times that experience by infinity and you get a kind of an idea of what Jesus has achieved for us. The entire cosmos, the future, the present, this world, beauty and wisdom and everything that you could possibly want belongs to his people because we belong to King Jesus. So we don't need, and I know this is a little controversial in our world, in our pluralistic society, but we don't need Muhammad to have all that we need. We don't need, a th I was hoping for a good amen to that. 
We don't need a therapist. And therapists are good. That's fine. I'm not saying that. We don't need a counselor. We, we, don't, we, don't, need all, we, we don't need Netflix, right? We don't need technology. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But if we want the peace and the fulfillment that we all long for, it is tethered exclusively to Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. So grace, Paul gives us this picture of grace as unmerited favor. Uh, It's a picture of God almost in an indiscriminate way tossing out gifts. Don't you love that? It's God who gives joy and love and pleasure, and we'll talk more about this over the next few weeks, and peace, and he's given us our body, and it's Jesus who heals us, and it's Jesus who calms the storms in our life. It's Jesus who makes all things new. And out of that reality, we give God thanks. Out of that reality, we sing a couple hallelujahs. Out of that reality, there's a need to praise God. We praise him not just on Sundays, but throughout our week because because our world is structured around overwhelming generosity. Because the kingdom of Jesus is predicated, it's shaped, it's engulfed by giftedness. The fabric of God's world is shaped by God's grace. But here's the problem. One, in microcosm, this problem is fleshed out a couple of weeks ago, I won't mention his name. I really respect him. He's great. He's a football player. He's a quarterback. He broke a record. Totally awesome. Um, if you're a Saint fan, don't get mad at me. Anyways, I totally, if you know football, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this particular quarterback got up and broke a record. He's great. I've heard this from a lot of NFL players that the NFL is like a meritocracy. So that means you got to, it's based on talent. So you got to earn your way, right? You got to earn your keep. Right? You gotta, it's a business. You hear kind of that talk in the world of, of football. And so this particular gentleman, he's a great guy. I just kind of disagree with this one point after he breaks uh, the NFL record. He gets on a mic and he says, I'm paraphrased, he goes, everything that I achieved, I earned it. And I wanted to say, yes, you worked hard for it. But uh, you didn't give yourself that body. You didn't give yourself that arm. You didn't, that quick release, you worked for it, but it's also a gift. Your mind to process all this information as six foot five players who want to kill you and knock your head off. Your ability to process, process all of that while throwing a football. You didn't give yourself that. God gave that to you. Some of you, your ability to write, you think you own that, you deserve it. No, you don't. Some of all the tall people, which is the greatest gift that anybody could have is tallness. Right? Did you like a priori, like before your existence, like, like give yourself the tall gene? No, we didn't, we didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose what we look like. We didn't choose our strengths, our gifts, or even our weaknesses, all of that was chosen for us. You're successful, not because you worked hard and you deserve it, gosh darn it. No, that is how the world thinks. As Christians, we know, yeah, we work for things, but the only reason we're successful and the only reason we got anything in life, I wish we were living in a charismatic, or we were in a charismatic church, right? The only reason we have anything is because of God's grace. 
It's grace. It's grace which is the engine of gratefulness. The problem is many of us, when it comes to gratitude, we, we, we feel humiliated with gratitude. Part of it is connected to this idea when it comes to thanking people or Thanksgiving. It's kind of like a holiday office party. Like we love um, office parties at our church. Every Christmas we have a staff party and they totally love it. Can I get an amen staff? Can I get an amen staff? Right, we have the time of our life, but I know some of us, I've heard from many of you that you don't like your holiday office party. Part of it is like it's generic, right? It's not like it's like faux Christmas. Like everyone comes with a limited dollar amount. And so you already come in with low expectations, right? Gifts are obligatory. Everyone has to bring a forgettable gift, right? Either socks or we had ugly sweater. Remember Keela a couple of weeks ago? She had the ugliest sweater. Um, yes, you did. Or maybe it might have been me. Anyways, um, but we came with uh, ugly sweaters. Or like, you know, th- these are obligatory gifts, socks, ugly cups, or coffee cups, or ugly sweaters, and they tend to be forgettable. There's no depth of gratitude. Now, you might say thank you when you receive something, but there's like no depth, right? Because you forget about what you received a couple days later. Why is that? Well, because holiday, usually holiday office parties are based on what the world calls quid pro quo, which in the Latin means something for something, gift for a gift. So I'm going to give you something so that you give me something, and then I'll give you something, and then I'll give you something. So gift and generosity and gratitude, according to the world, is used to control people. It's almost as just, you are, I'm going to give you this so there's some strings attached so that you can... In the future, give something back to me. Many of us, when we hear the word grateful, that's kind of what we think, right? One pastor, uh, he mentioned, and he said this, actually read this. He said this about a couple years ago. He was battling with um, cancer. And in a moment of vulnerability, he got up one Sunday, and he confessed to the whole church, and this is what he said. I hate, as he was talking about gratefulness, I hate feeling like I'm in another's debt, I was a guy who kept score, which means I didn't mind you being in my debt. I just didn't want you to be in in yours. I didn't want to be in yours. His simplistic worldview was that, hey, there are winners and that there are losers. It's almost a zero-sum game approach to life. And maybe some of you feel that way when it comes to gratitude. Maybe some of you don't like hearing the word grace because you've lived your life on self-reliance. I earned it. I deserve my pay. I deserve what I have accomplished. And can I just say something? No, you don't. None of us deserve one stinking thing, including existence. And yet our Father in heaven, who sent his Son into human history, not only gave us existence, but gave us salvation and redemption and life and healing and hope and transformation. So Paul is telling us something about grace and gratefulness. Grace will always lead to gratefulness. When you understand that this world, the the fabric of our world, is woven through with grace, you will live every single day in a state of gratefulness. That doesn't mean that you're always going to be ecstatic. It doesn't mean you're always going to be in this rapturous mood and feeling all the time. Can I get an amen to that? 
you'll have moments like that. But as you, as you figure out how this world is and how good God is, you begin to practice gratitude and thankfulness every single day. Which leads to, which leads to generosity. I want you to hear me now as we close and we're going to receive communion. Gratefulness always leads to generosity. In fact, I don't have time to like flesh this out today from scripture. But if you have a problem with generosity, you actually, in fact, have a problem not with generosity per se. You actually have a problem with gratefulness. Generosity, if let's think of generosity as flow. Let's think of it almost like a river. Generosity flows out of learning to be grateful every single day. So we don't have a generosity problem. If we have a generosity problem, we actually have a thanksgiving problem. And really when it comes down to it, we don't have a thank you problem. We have a problem of grasping how everything in this world is filled with God's good gifts. James 1.17 says, every good gift comes from the Father who gives without variation or shadow of turning. It is God's gift that leads to thankfulness, which leads to generosity. In fact, as we close here, one ethicist that I read earlier this week, in his research figured out that the most central practice or the distinguishing feature of gratefulness is hugging. Isn't that funny? Like, I'm not a hugger. Um, I'm not like, I'm not, to be honest, if you, like, when I preach, I might be a little bit like flamboyant, but just in real life, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoic, right? Um, but when gratefulness takes over my heart, there's this sense I gotta, if someone does something for me and I know I can't pay it back, I just, I wanna at least high five them, right? Have you ever felt that? You wanna, isn't it funny how you wanna do something with your body? You wanna hug them? Like sometimes if it's a really good gift, you want to tackle them, right? And just say, thank you. Or something. There's, some, there's something inside of us. We're designed in such a way that, man, we want to go beyond ourselves. And see, here's the thing. This is what happens. As this ethicist is pointing out, when gratefulness becomes uh, the point from which you live, you see everything in light of God's grace. What happens? You then want to share everything. You want to give everything. You want to live generously. That is what we see in the New Testament. And in the words of one scholar, as we close here, the transformative genius of the early church was to embody the outward practical love of God for all the people. It was the early Christians because they were filled with God's grace and because they understood that this world is structured around overflowing generosity and their hearts were filled with thanksgiving that they invented hospitals, that they invented hospices. It was the Christians who went into the cities and took care of their pagan brothers and sisters who were dying of the plague. It was Christians who healed the sick. It was Christians who privileged the poor. It was Christians who championed for the weak and the vulnerable, the lost and the unappreciated. Was it because that they had a special trait about them that we don't have? No. It was because their hearts was overflowing with gratefulness for all that Jesus had done for them. Gratefulness always leads to generosity. As we close, 
This morning, I'd like our ushers to come forward. I think it's only appropriate to respond to a message like this with communion. I'm going to end in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. As the ushers come forward, can you pass the, the bread and the, the grape juice? Matthew 26, Jesus is eating with his disciples. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, broke it and gave it to his disciples. And this is what he said to his disciples. Take, everyone say take. Eat, this is my body. And then he continues and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is telling the story of the kingdom of God to his disciples. The world does not run on quid pro quo. The world does not run on I deserve something or I can earn something or I can pay God back or I can be worthy of something. No, what we find in the kingdom of God is unmerited favor. What does Jesus say? Take, or in one translation, everyone say receive. It says receive my body. I love this because Jesus is saying, I'm bringing all the grace and goodness to you. I am going to do what you can never do for yourself. I am going to the cross and I will defeat every claim of authority on you through my death and through my body. Receive. What does receive mean? It means feast. Receive means abundance. Everyone say abundance. And what we find in communion, and actually if you could do this right now, if you receive the elements, the bread and the cup of grape juice. Can you stand as we close here?